so my cousin, shout out to the best cousin. I mean, I have a lot of really, I, I love my cousins. But Becky, who's one of our listeners, she's an OG fan. She was listening to the penis episode and she was like, I hate myself. Like, can you send me that picture? <laughs> <laughs> Send it to her. That's a gnarly fucking photo. Um, oh, my God. I have to tell you the craziest thing that happened to Brayden. Uh, yeah. So my friend Brayden got a package in the mail, and he was texting me and his other friends being like, why did I get this? And it's this book called Changed by this guy, Tom Cantor. And we were all like, What? show us the back and he like sent a picture of the back and it seems to be that what the book is about is this guy that grew up Jewish and always felt dirty and had kind of a crazy sexual relationships that made him feel even worse and then he, he decided to marry a non-Jew to try to feel cleansed and she gets raped and he's like so she's not going to help me feel uncleansed now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the most despicable human being. And she's pregnant because of the rape, and they end up giving the baby up for adoption. Anyway, the point of it being that he decides to become like a Jew for Jesus, like he finds Jesus. And his book is a little bit propaganda, it looks like, on finding Jesus. But he's just randomly sending it to people and the reason we know is that it was this mystery wait, wait that guy is just randomly that the author is yeah somebody is because what we were like what so we went on amazon and there's all these reviews of people that are pissed because they're like i got this book sent to me but didn't buy it and i'm offended by it and it's basically propaganda isn't that wild? I'm so happy that you know someone who got that. Wowzies, wowzies, wowzers. I've been text banking for the election, mm-hmm. for the upcoming election. So I'm text banking, and one of the questions we're asking, and I think it's, like, primarily going to, like, swing states, but one of the questions is, like, hey, this is Carrie from, you know, People's Action or whatever. Um, on a scale of, like, one to five, who are you voting for? One being Trump, like, five being Biden. And it's so funny. I get, like, a lot of, like, fives. You're, like, opt out, unsubscribe. Totally fine. But, like, the people who are Trump voters are, like, truly awful and 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 maybe if i was wait what do they say like one and go fuck yourself fuck off and die choke on air bitch one asked a friend of mine how big are your titties um how do you know they're trump voters because they say one and then they say how big are your titties (laughs) choke and die choke and die one kill yourself yeah Yeah. it's fun it's fun wow it's a it's a real uh it's I, I wish I felt better uh, after doing it once. I'll do it again because I think, like, you know, it's something you can, like, I can do while watching TV. There's, it's cool. It's on Tuesday nights and they have a DJ. So, like, I, I, they have a live DJ on Zoom. So you can, like, text bank 
Oh, you text bank while on Zoom? Like on your phone or so you on your can't, computer. Like, lie on the couch and you can you turn your computer off and like you don't have to go join the Zoom. Like then there's like it's like a two hour party on Tuesday nights, but like you can vote do it any party. time of the week. Everybody, make sure you vote. Register. It doesn't matter who you're voting for. Yes, it does, but please get there and vote. Votey, votey, votey. <laughs> um, so that was us. Not that was our promoting work. saying, just vote. Vote. You know what? So many women died giving... This is the thing that you don't realize. You abstaining from voting. Do you know how many women died? They fucking chained themselves to, like walls and gates and shit so that we could vote. It's incredible. And you can vote drunk. What's your complaint? You can vote drunk. You can vote... You could vote any... I mean, I get... Every time I vote, I get emotional. I get so emotional, baby. I do. I get very emotional when I vote. Do you get the uh, sticker? Oh, yeah. I have so many that I've I ruined a shirt. I washed it with the I voted sticker <laughs> on it, and it's ruined. So I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I personally am not going to vote because Quinn's I love face. my T-shirts. When I looked at Quinn, oh, dear readers, I wish we could. Quinn's covered her eyes, and she's like, I ruined a T-shirt. It just, <laughs> so many people, like, use it on the social meds. No, seriously, go vote. But also, uh, while we're we're talking about, uh, while we're bossing you around and being boring, fill out the fucking census. Right. Yeah, who hasn't filled that out? (gasps) Have you not filled that out? What are you trying to do? 50% of people haven't filled it out. I am ashamed if I know you and you haven't filled out the census. Do you know what's fucked that I just found out? Huh. So, you know how little towns... Full of little pris- people. Yeah, little go towns, on. Full of little people. Prisons, during every 10 years when the census is filled out, prisons claim their prisoners as residents in their town, which is so fucked to me. Because, because it's further monetizing. It's further monetizing. Not even that, but, like, the resources. Some of the people that are in prisons... Are come from low-income areas, impoverished areas that have been forgotten. Right. And so when they're, instead of claiming their last residence as a way to put more money into their community Uh of helping, maybe allocating more resources, it's actually going towards the prison community. And, like, also the people that are governing that community where a prison lives, like, they're not going to those, quote-unquote, constituents. Like, they can't vote, so there's no power. It's just, like perpetuating this powerlessness in the fucked up criminal justice system that we have where it's counting prison residents as residents of that area even though they do not they they're prisoners there yeah it's super fucked i learned about that and you should know that and get mad about it and it should not happen in the census because again like there's too much to be mad about there is too much to be mad about i'll give you permission be mad about this for like Five minutes, put it in the back of your mind, and share it with someone. That's all you, that, and so that more people know because it just feels really fucking unfair. Yeah. Really fucking unfair. Agree. Yeah. We had fun at Red Hook, didn't we? I love Red Hook. I, I was so happy. You know what? I get so anxious when I ask people to do fun things with me because if they don't enjoy it, I'll feel awful. Oh, you're hilarious. I, 
I do you not feel that way? I totally feel that way. Um, but that's why I stopped asking people that don't have fun doing things to do stuff with me. Because yeah. you will find that thematically there are people that tend to have fun wherever. I mean, that's why I married Matt, honestly. He can kind of have fun wherever, whatever. I feel very akin to Matt in that way. You are. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I keep you guys around. Because you guys are, like, excellent at finding the fun. You are people to invite to things and then not – I don't have to do the extra work of worrying Taking about you. Taking care of you. Yeah. I just invite you to do a thing and then I don't worry about you. Right. You can't really have a lot of friends that are the kind that you worry about. So fun. It was a great time. I had a lobster roll. Um, I have a story about them. About? So when we went to Red Hook, um, Koa's friend's dad – waited on us there he works there at a really cool place that uh is called uh brooklyn Brooklyn crab oh man it's awesome you can see the water uh all outdoor seating it feels like you're in a beach town yeah in brooklyn it just is like such a little like am i on vacation yeah it's montauk vibes yeah so his good friend died a uh a couple of years ago i'm not sure when okay and when he died, they got hit, um, among some other things, they got his skateboard. And they just posted a story because I think it was either his birthday or the anniversary of his death. And I was reading this story they posted about um, how when Ozzy was a little baby, he was in uh, their bedroom and there was a ladder because they were doing work in there. And... The skateboard was in there, back in the corner of the room, and Ozzy's dad had to leave the room for a second, and he left the room and heard the ladder sliding with the baby in there, had like a panic and ran back in, and the skateboard was all the way back across from where it had been and had stopped the ladder from sliding. (gasps) Oh, I just got chills. Oh, I Isn't just that got the most beautiful ghost story? Like just oh. yeah, really beautiful ghost story. Ooh, I love that. The tears, they're there. I know, so sweet. Anyway, if you have a baby, you need ghosts to help you because it's hard work. <laughs> How do I engage the ghosts? I'm thinking of killing you just so that I can have your help. I would protect them. You know that. Um. Oh, folks. Um. I don't know if you've been keeping up with the Carrie. Uh, keeping up with Carrie. <laughs> keeping up with Carrie. Uh, I decided not to go to Dubai for my show in a month. Do we think that's the best idea? Yeah, what's in Dubai that you're even going to care about? Well, performing again would be really incredible. But you can do it here. Koa will watch you. It's not appropriate for Koa. There's a lot of there's a lot of sexy puns. You let me decide what's appropriate. <laughs> I think it's the right choice not going to Dubai. My mom was like, there's no fucking way you're going. Yeah, no, that's that's Would you too- go to Dubai for work? For like also, oh, well, I'd go anywhere anyone would fly me. Even now? Uh, yeah, just to just to be alone, you know. So you're not going to Dubai. What are you going to do go- with I'm your life? Here, baby. <laughs> it's all carry all the time. Okay. Should I tell my story? Yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell a story quick. I think you're going to really like my story. Don't tell the story quick. Tell it. Here's what happened. <laughs> tell it at a normal pace. Okay. 
Okay, I got all this information from a Vanity Fair article. Vanity Fair has just really good fucking true crimes. This one is called um, The Body in Room 348, and it's written by Mark Bowden. Awesome. It's... I fucking loved it. Um, I can't wait. It's a great article. If you like to read and not listen... This article. If you're a reader. If you're a dear, dear reader. If you're a dear listener and you only like to read. <laughs> Podcasts like no one's listening. Podcasts like no one's listening. Because they aren't. The Body in Room 348 is super fucking good. It's written so well. So this is a story about a guy called Greg Flenniken. Greg Flenniken is from Louisiana, Texas area. He's an oil and gas man. He's used to being alone. He travels a lot for work. He wears, like, worn-out jeans and cowboy boots and, you know, really goes for it. Awesome. Um, Yeah. He used to be a chief engineer on a shipping vessel that would, like, travel. So he's used to solitude. He's just used to being alone. He has a wife named Susie who they got married when they were young and then they broke up for 15 years and then they got, or I don't know, they broke up for a period of time and then they got married again. And when she called him, he was like, I was waiting for your call. Like he just is. Oh, I like this. I like this guy. There's got to be a movie about him. He's slender. He has a white beard. He's an outdoorsman. He likes to sleep in a cold room. And whenever he travels for work, um, on Mondays, he he drives two hours from Lafayette, Louisiana to Beaumont, Texas, and his company puts him up at the same hotel every time. He usually will go to his room and then fall asleep and be done with it. And he'll, he doesn't really drink too much. He is a chain smoker, but he'll get some candy from a vending machine and he'll just like sit in bed and watch TV and go to sleep. Like he just keeps to himself. He's a lone wolf, this guy. Yeah, he's a rolling stone. He's a rolling fucking stone. So on, um, he's 55 years old. It's Wednesday, September 15th, 2010. And he checks into the same room he usually does. It's room 348 at the um, MCM Elegante Hotel in Beaumont, Texas. He's there for work. He makes some microwave popcorn and, uh, and he blows the circuit. So he's like, oh, fuck, like I gotta, ugh darn it he calls down he's like it was me i did it the lights went off you know could you come up and fix it the repairman comes up he fixes it iron man 2 is on and he laid out a (laughs) towel on his bed so that he wouldn't get it dirty nice and he puts on he takes off his jeans and he puts on little cotton pajama bottoms like he's just a sweet man yeah he's eating a, a reese's crispy crunchy bar um, and he's drinking root beer, just watching Iron Man 2. This sounds like exactly what I want to be doing right now. Totally. Like, you just set the scene for our evening. For our evening. This I'm going to have to send you out for Reese's and popcorn, but otherwise, it's let's on. do this. Let's do this. He gets an email from his wife, who's, like, handling taxes. Um, and a little after 7, he writes back, you're doing good, babe. So the next morning, he's supposed to go into work. He doesn't show up. He calls his wife every morning. No call. And this guy seems like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, a man of habit. Yeah. No call to his wife. So she's like, what's going on? So she calls his office. When he doesn't come in, they send two coworkers to the hotel. They pound on the door. doesn't open. They call management. They open the door. And they see him face down on the carpet close to the door. 
Oh. He's dead. Yes. The room is really warm and he's dead. Warm? Yeah, warm. You said he likes to sleep in a cold room. He does like to sleep in a cold room. This room was very warm. I'm Detective Quinn, and I'm Detective on the case. Detective Quinn, on the fucking case. So they find him with a cigarette stub in his left hand, burnt out between his stiff fingers, still there. He's face down. His skin was grayish and blue, and there was a wet spot on the crotch of his pajamas, which is... Common normal. when you die. <laughs> Common. It is. You pee-pee and poo-poo. Yeah. I, uh, common when you die, did you say? Common. What did I you think I thought you said, said common when he died. <laughs> common when he died. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, God. Jesus, Karen. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> You must think I'm such a monster. <laughs> no, I was like, I don't know if this happened. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> I love some word for patient. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hi. Ooh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so good. So uh, Scott Apple, the local detective, comes in, and he's a guy. He loves a mystery, you know. And and there's really in Beaumont, Texas, there's only ten murders a year, you know. And this is on track. It's like it's not a very dangerous spot. Most you, of them aren't even mysteries. Most of them are cut, cut and case and shut. Like you know, some you know, drunk guy got out of hand. Unfortunately, domestic violence is obviously up there. Drug related crimes, you know, not case and cl- case cl- open and shut cases. So he's investigating the the scene of the crime, the scene of the murder, because it does feel like a very normal murder. Or not, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it seems like a very... Like a heart attack or something. Yeah. yeah it's you're like, just like, this, this is a guy, guy, like, Susie, they called his wife, and she's like, ugh, like... I don't want him to go like that, but I'm happy it was quick. And he always commented, Greg always commented that, like, when someone just up and died that he was like lucky bastard like right. that's how i want to go you know i think that's mm-hmm. all we all want to go in some ways not me bells whistles lightning thunder i want it all fireworks a parade i'm gonna put you in a firework bin <laughs> and i want to go coming <laughs> i want to go coming, coming when you die i <laughs> <laughs> said coming <laughs> i was like is that a phrase i should know <laughs> It's getting me every time. Oh God! Oh God! So is it the title of our podcast? Come in when you die. Oh God! I don't know if we can title it that. It's it's too funny. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Okay. So Sky. Scott Apple. Scott Apple comes in. He's investigating. It seems like a pretty normal death in a hosp- in a in a hotel. Shit happens. There's no sign of a break in. There's no struggle. There's nothing out of place. There's no blood, obvious wounds. His wallet is still there with a stack of a hundred dollar bills. Because this guy, you know he doesn't believe in credit cards. Nope. You know. No one heard anything. There was no pills, no medication nearby. He didn't trust a doctor, so he wasn't on any medication. He was kind of a stubborn guy, suspicious of authority. Um, he didn't exercise, but for sure chain smoked, as I mentioned. You said that like it takes the place of. What? 
You were like, he didn't exercise, but he for sure chain smoked. Because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> next time somebody asks me if I exercise, I'm going to be like, no, no, I chain smoke. <laughs> like, it's just an alternative to exercise. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So they're like, this guy for sure just dropped dead. He wasn't the healthiest. He dropped dead. Police even noted it was a routine death. Photographers took pictures. They sent him to get an autopsy because the only thing that was a mystery was how he died. But they anticipated solving it pretty quickly. It went to this guy, Dr. Brown. He's this autopsy um, doctor. I don't know. He's a coroner. Sure. He's a coroner in town. Apparently, they talked about how he had, like, white hair on his sides. Like, he was a little eccentric, which... Thank you, Vanity Fair, for a little background. I love a little... On looks. Mm, on the look. Um, the autopsy took 45 minutes. He was in very decent shape, so it's a lot of, like, taking things out, weighing it, making sure everything looks good. There were a couple anomalies in his body. So there was the inch cut on his cheek from when he fell on the floor, which was to be expected. But there was a half-inch laceration in his scrotum in his ball okay so he was like that's super weird so the sack was like swollen a little discolored there was some fluid and once they opened him up they noticed there was like bruising throughout the groin and across his hip what and it was almost like he had been hit like or or some big object like fell on him in some way wow so then they open his torso and they find that there's blood and like massive internal damage. They find cuts in his organs. They find two broken ribs and they find a hole in his heart. What? Yeah. But you couldn't tell any of that from the outside? No, his body looked normal. Unbelievable. Totally. So it was almost like he was beaten to death. He, they described it as maybe but he was kicked in so the groin. That's so weird the outside of his body. And there was no break in nothing. The outside of it, they said, like, his groin was almost like a steel toe boot that, like, kicked him in the nuts. Holy shit. And then, like, it was almost like and a blow to the chest so deadly that he would have bled out in 30 seconds. Wow. So it was very quick, but there was no evidence in the room of what this could be. Whoa. So Scott Apple, like I said, loves a mystery. He doesn't get very interesting cases. This was it. This was, like, the mysterious case. Of like, this is a once in a lifetime murder case. Yeah. So it's listed as a homicide. Between getting the Reese's Crunchy Bar and watching and texting his wife, something happened where he went to go out the door and he fell out and died. Nobody knows what happened. Okay. So his injuries, they said, were, like I said, similar to like a crash victim or like uh, something of like a huge object falling on someone right. and killing them instantly. So then they're like looking into possibilities. And of course, they like talk to Susie and they're like, how is your relationship? And she was like, he was like a pretty faithful. He was a faithful guy. Like he was a good guy. <laughs> He's pretty He's faithful. pretty faithful. Because I mean, how well, how can you know? Yeah, how do you know? But like he had no enemies. He was really well liked. He kept to himself. Um they couldn't figure out anybody that would want to hurt him. no idea of motive. So they had a couple of theories, one of which was the maintenance man who was on staff at the hotel um, had a rap sheet um, as a sex offender. So they were like, maybe he took a screwdriver and it was like foul sex play, but that wasn't what happened. And then 
in the hotel, there was a group of union electricians who were um, in town for a job that they were doing. And some of them had been in room 349, so the room right next to him when he died. And they would hang out and maybe like, they were like, maybe the when the power went off, they were pissed. And like, he they went over and they fucked him up because he blew the power with his popcorn. No, that didn't happen. <laughs> didn't I mean, fucking t- happen. Listen, Scott Apple. It didn't happen. I know you're new at this, but so that they, didn't happen. So, but nine days after, um, Apple went um, t- with hidden cameras on him, and he, like, met with all these electrician guys. So he talked to, like, this guy, Tim Steinmetz, Lance Mueller, and, like, Trent Pisana or whatever. And all of them were like, how did he die? What happened? And they're like, a huge object fell on him. And they're like, I didn't hear anything. Like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. So... This happened in September. As of November, there was a $50,000 reward out, you know? And so Susie is like, what the fuck is going on? My husband was murdered, and we can't... There's no clue as to what the fuck happened. Right. So a bunch of her friends were like, you got to call this guy Ken Brennan. You got to call this guy Ken Brennan. If you now want that you're single, done, call, call Ken. Ken Brennan. Call Ken. <laughs> He's great. Ken Brennan... I love the guy. He's from New York, and he apparently has a very thick Brooklyn accent or, like, New York accent. He, he has, like, slicked back hair, apparently. Maybe I read that wrong, but I'm imagining him with, like, a gold chain slicked back. He's moved to Florida. And so Susie gives him a call, and on the first ring, he picks up. He's on the golf course because he's retired. He's, like, in his 60s. And she's like, oh, shit, you picked up on the first. I thought you'd have a secretary. He's like, no, what's up? (laughs) She's like, what the fuck is going on? She explains the situation. He's like, that's weird. Okay, email me or, like, fax me all of the information that you have. I'd love to take a look. Because the thing about Ken is he's not going to get people's hopes up, but he's only going to take cases that it interests him. He's like, he gets a lot of interest from people. He's not going to give people false hope. So Susie's like, okay, I'll, I'll fax it over, but I'm... I'm not really, like, feeling well, right? Like, so I'll get to it when I get to it. And he goes, well, you need to fucking take care of yourself. So he says to her. (laughs) And I guess she was like, I guess she really liked that about him. That he was, like, pretty brash, but he wanted her to take care of herself. Yeah. So he takes a look at the case. And he's like, all right, let's do it. So the first thing he does, he visits Susie. And he's like, okay, really? How was he as a husband? You know, and she's like, I married him twice. I really like the guy. He's a good guy. He doesn't see a fucking doctor, but he's a good guy. So it's like, he was like, how was his life insurance? And she's like, totally normal. Nothing crazy. I didn't take it out the day before he died. So that's fine. Um, Everything's all normal. And then he was like, Susie, was there anything weird about the crime scene to you? Like, you know the guy. Was there something weird? And she's like, it was really fucking warm. He always amped up that fucking air conditioning super duper high. And he's like, okay, okay, cool. Good to know. So then Brendan goes to Beaumont, Texas, where he meets Scott Apple. And I like this Ken Brennan because he comes in and he goes, listen, I'm not a maverick here. Everything I do, you're going to know. And I only want to work on this case as partners. He's like, I'm not about to come and, like, stomp over your shit, you know? Right. And really, I think what Ken Brennan was doing in the moment was casing out Scott Apple if he liked him. Yeah. You know, because he's like, I'm not going to work with a guy I don't like. You know, he can be a little choosy. And he liked he liked Scott Apple, so he was like, all right, I'm in. So the two of them 
revisit the hotel the next morning. The two of them visit the hotel. They show him the photos, autopsy, and the past seven months of work and everything. And then Brennan goes, I think I know how this guy died. I think I know when he died. I think I know who killed him. And I think I know how we're going to catch him. Oh, shit. <laughs> like, so fucking confident. Apple goes, no way. And Brennan's like, listen, I got to call Susie. So he calls Susie after seeing all these photos. And he's like, was your husband left to right-handed? She's like, he was right-handed. He's like, are you sure? What what hand did he smoke with? And she's like, his right hand. He's like, are you fucking sure, Susie? He spoke to her a little nicer than that. And he was. she was like, absolutely. He smoked with his right hand. So he was like, okay, I know when he died. So he was like, when the circuit blew, right? Yeah. That means the air conditioner turned off. And that was around, the repairman left at 830, right? So it didn't get warm enough for him to turn on the air conditioning again. So they know his time of death happened like pretty shortly after 8.30. Cause if he likes it cold, he would have gotten up and changed the temperature. Uh-huh. He lit his cigarette and then something happened because he switched his cigarette to the left hand so he could open the door with his right hand. That's why the cigarette was in his left hand. Right. So he's a tech, so we know that. But oh, the question I love this. Was, I have to tell you, I love this. <laughs> I figured he would. Then the question is, who done it? So he visited the doctor who did the autopsy, right? Dr. Brown was like, the kick to the scrotum was probably someone who wore steel-toed boots. And they said steel-toed because it was like a huge, crazy, hard thing. And he was like, all the electricians were wearing construction boots. So it can't be that. So then Apple went to interview the guy's who worked with the electrician. So, like, Brennan was like, okay, we have to piece together because it's an electrician union, so any sort of, like, chat or anything about this will get through the grapevine in some way. Like, Uh rumors spread, gossip spread. So he starts interviewing people, being like, how did he die? What did you hear? What did you hear? What did you hear? And most of the guys were like, oh, yeah, it's crazy. I heard a guy died. Something crazy fell on him. I heard this, and one of the guys was like, yeah, isn't that the guy who got shot in the boarding house? And he was like, what? Shot? And then after that interview, Brennan was like, we're going back to the hotel. And Apple was like, why are we going back to the hotel? We've been there so many times. I don't know what to do. So they go back into the room and they start looking and Brennan's like, we're looking for a bullet. And he's like, what? There was no bullet. And he's like, we're looking for something. So they start looking, they see no bullet, but they see an indentation on the door to the right of like where the knob hits. You know how sometimes a knob hits and like it makes an indent? Uh huh. This indentation was like to the right of it and it was repaired. So they like look at this thing and they're like, okay. And they go into room 349 and they look at sort of like the exit area of where that is and he finds toothpaste filling a hole oh so he's like he was shot he was fucking shot that's how he died so then he had to go to doc before he could do anything he had to go to dr brown the doctor and was like we need him to change the autopsy the cause of death because otherwise we won't have any case so he goes to dr brown and he's like is there any possibility that this guy was shot? And he's like, there's no fucking way. There's no way. There's no way. He's like, listen, we can't even exhume the body because the body was cremated. 
So he's like, show me pictures. So they look at pictures and they noticed that like where all the organs were, where that laceration in the scrotum was, uh-huh. it was a direct line shot. And the hole in his heart was a bullet hole. Oh my God. So then they're like, okay. Where'd the bullet go? Went through his scrotum up into his heart. I don't think they found it in his heart. I think it just like. Oh, it burned. Yeah. Or it didn't burn. I think they just like weren't looking for a bullet. They were like, this is crazy. Like, I think it just was like, it was, it was lodged in his heart. Totally. So he just missed it and they burned it and the, and the metal would have burned up in the cream, in the crematorium. So there's like no evidence, but they see like a direct line shot from his scrotum to his heart. Oh my God. Yeah. So then they call this guy Tim Steinmetz, who was staying next door in 349 at the time. He gets a call. And they're like, hey, we're coming up to, he's back in Wisconsin after he finished the job. And they're like, we're coming up. We have to ask some routine questions. And he's like, this is so weird. They're coming all the way up. So he calls his friend Lance Mueller just to, you know, clarify some information. Uh huh. So Tim Steinmetz gets a call. They come to Wisconsin. He's interviewed in his home precinct, and they interview him, and they ask him his side of the story. So he's, like, going through all this information, and he's saying that, like, it it basically is, like, we didn't hear anything, nothing happened, blah, blah, blah. And in in the on the police report, they listed him as an apprentice or some sort of, like, little thing that they were, like, He's like, can you fix that? That's incorrect. And so he has to sign it, and they notarize it by another police officer. And he's like, all right, am I done? And they're like, yeah, just about. And he's like signing things. Am I done? They go, well, yeah, but now we have a problem because this is an official police report, and you just signed your name to it. That's a false report (gasps) because we know something else happened. So then he basically... Tricky, tricky. Tricky, tricky. So they cornered him into telling him the whole story, and then they ended up corroborating it with Trent Pisano, the other guy who was there. What was the fucking story? So these three guys are in a room. They're off of a day's work. They're drinking beer. They're getting fucked up. Lance Mueller had a car. I guess they asked one of the guys, Trent or um, Tim, they're like, run to my pickup truck to pick up some whiskey and my pistol. So he comes back up. They're playing with his pistol. They're fucked up. They're super drunk. Mueller starts playing with the gun, points it at Steinmetz, who drops to the floor. Mueller was pointing it then at Pisano's direction, and it goes off. And Pisano's like, oh, fuck, I'm hit, right? He has that moment of being like, I'm hit. And he's like, oh, I'm not hit. But they notice the hole in the wall behind him. The gun went off, and it went right through the hole behind him. So they're like, who has toothpaste? We don't want to get charged for this. They were like, we don't know if someone's next door. We have no idea. Oh. So they're like, okay, we got to put the gun back in the car. Pisano left, and Mueller and Steinmetz then just went to the bar. Steinmetz claims that when they came back after a minute, they heard coughing next door, which obviously is not what happened because the guy died. He was dead. Right away. And the next morning, they saw the gurney or stretcher, and they saw the guy getting wheeled out. Ooh. Now, immediately what Mueller did was Mueller then, 
hid his gun in a safe, like away, actually gave it to a friend to hold on to because he was like, oh, fuck, I don't know what's going on. And then he went to talk to a lawyer and was like, the gun accidentally went off. The guy next door came and then the lawyer got the autopsy records of Greg and it said it didn't die from a gunshot wound. It was blunt force trauma. So they're like, I think you're fine. But he gave his gun to the his attorney to put it in his possession mm-hmm. so that like he didn't have it and, you know, he was covering his ass. Then... Brennan and Scott Apple, Ken Brennan and Scott Apple were like, okay, Steinmetz, like, you got to call your buddy Lance. And so he calls Lance, and he's like, yo, I told him. He's like, what do you mean you told him? He's like, I told him. He died from a gunshot wound. And Lance is like, fuck, 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 fuck. Oh, are you serious? Are you fucking serious? You know, he's having that freak out. Lance Mueller's then arrested. He's ple- He pleads no contest to manslaughter. And they were really worried he was going to get off easily because I guess the judge was like, this was an accident. You didn't mean to. And Ken Brennan was like, fuck that. Like, I guess at one point Ken Brennan came in and was like, this guy had so many opportunities to do the right thing. He knew a gun went off. They said they heard some guy coughing next door. They could have called and seen if he was okay. When he was murdered the next day, they could have been forthcoming about information. Also, they chose to play with this gun when they were fucked up. Yeah. Like, so many mistakes were made. We can't let this guy off. No. So they were worried about him getting a lesser t- sentence, but he actually got 10 years in jail. Right. And Susie, his wife, I'm going to read you what she said. I have waited over two years to look you in the face, eye to eye, and simply have the chance to speak directly to you. You would never have come forward with the truth. You murdered him. No, you didn't intentionally seek out to murder him, but you murdered him with every lie you told, with every intentional selfish deception, with every cover-up over and over again. You saw his body taken out of the room in a body bag the next day. You knew you killed him. He meant nothing to you. You have met your match. I would have spent the rest of my life tracking you down, and I found you, Greg's murderer. I brought you to justice. Oof. Susie, I'm so sorry that happened to you, and I'm so glad they figured it out so that it didn't have to stay a mystery. And that's the story of Greg um, That would have totally been an alien abduction story if we didn't know how it all went down. Because it's so mysterious. It's so mysterious. And I just, like, I... Oh, sorry. I apologize to my headphones. Um, I... Women say sorry too much example. We, that's you just an apologized example. I just to your apologized headphones. to my headphones. Um, and the article that I took it from, the Vanity Fair article that tells the story, it's so good. Like, I'm just obsessed with Ken Brennan. I want to go back and look at all of his cases that he solved because, you yeah. know, that guy, like, he knew him. He looked at that. He saw this cigarette. He's like, I know when he died. Like, I know. And in the article, it made it seem very quick that he did, but I think it was pretty fucking quick. That's so cool. God, smart detectives. And like, is there he's anything a New cooler? New Yorker, like he's just kind of like he's retired and like Boca playing uh, golf, getting calls, taking cases. Can I be a detective? I just want to be a detective. I think you have to like have a gun though. Oh, I don't want to do that part. No, I don't either. I just want to look at the pictures and the clues you and should solve the how case. To be a consultant. Yeah, we can we can find that work for you. Anyway. Isn't that story incredible? That is a really crazy story. You know what's similar to you to yours about my story? Hmm. That I found like one killer article, uh, and it, it was actually people are so good at their jobs. 
that we don't have to do ours. Don't have to do anything. Thank God. So this is an article from the Intelligencer, which is from New York Magazine. Okay. And the name of the article is Worst Roommate Ever, and it's by William Brennan. And it was a pretty viral, I guess you could say, article a few years ago when it came out. And people were like, oh, shit, did you read this? Because it's crazy. And I remembered it the other day and was like, I got to go back and reread it and do a little segment on it. But the be all end all of the information on it is this article. Love it. There's not even anywhere else you should look. Thanks, William Brennan. Yeah. So Alex Miller lists her spare room on Craigslist in March 2017. Mm-hmm. She lives in Chestnut Hill, Philadelphia. And this guy reaches out to her. His name's Jed Creek. And he wants to check out the room. He's a lawyer. He's from New York. But he knows Philadelphia. He grew up just outside it. And it's actually sort of a sad story. He's basically like, my mom is really old. And my brother's really sick and has, like complications with hepatitis C and I'm going to move back to Philadelphia. She kind of gets to know him and he's got all these experiences as a lawyer and he's lived in Europe and he's lived in the Middle East and he was like interested in Buddhism and you know you kind of get to know somebody. He's 60 but he's super handsome and looks like 20 years younger. He has a dog. She has a dog. When he comes to check out the room their dogs actually meet to see if they get along you know. Mm-hmm. And they do. And and Jed and Alex get along, too. They, like, hit it off. They have nice conversation. And he's like, I can move him right away and I can pay you, like, right now. And she's sort of like, um, that's, well, uh, you know, that's fast, but okay. So he writes her a check, like, on the spot. And this is, like, not even a red flag, I don't think. But it might have been, like, a pink flag. That, like, he, on the check he gives her, there's no address. You know, it's like... Right. I don't have an address on my check book. That's a pink flag. I, I'm fine carrying pink flags when I just... Okay. I, my address changes a lot, so you can't, you know... So he, like, writes her address as the address, because he's like, well, I'm moving in. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that would rub me weird or not. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the check does clear, like... Okay. So she's like, all right. What's the deal? So he comes and he moves in with his dog, incidentally named Zachary, and a cat named Abigail. He loves his animals. They're like his babies. Mm -hmm. And he moves in. He, like, brings in his stuff. And one thing that's kind of weird is he doesn't bring in a bed. Hmm. Yeah. He just, like, throws, like, blankets onto the floor. Hmm. Uh, So, I mean, like, dude, you're 60. Just his treat back, yourself, his you know? has got to be bad. Like, get a, Or do what I did and a have a fucking air mattress that I stole from you. An air mattress. <laughs> totally. totally. <laughs> so, like, everything is totally fine with their living situation. Except for the lack of bed, but sure. What does she care? Other than to be, like, weird. And, like, in fact, there's this time where some guy's over and she kind of wants him to leave. And she's asking him to leave and he doesn't. And Jed shows up and is like... You heard the lady kind of chivalrous behavior, you know. So then another pinkish flag comes up, which is that she's like, hey, at the end of his first little month living there or whatever, she's like, this utility bills, we're going to split utilities. And he's like, no, I'm I'm not doing that. Listen, 
I just moved in. So those are actually f- utilities that reflect like mainly a time that I, I was not even here. And she doesn't back down right away. And then he doesn't either. And he's like, well, we can go to court. And to me, like if I were texting with a person that lived with me and they jumped there that quickly instead of like, let's work this out. Wow. That would bother me. Uh-huh. Um, but she, she, I think she does that thing you do when somebody's like that where you then second guess yourself. Right. So you're like, oh, I guess maybe it is weird to ask for him to split these. I'm going to like dial it back. But then shit starts going missing from the common spaces. Weird stuff. <laughs> like, she would come home and go to turn on the lights, and it, the lights wouldn't go on, and it's because he would unscrew the light bulbs in, like, the living room and use them in his room. Like, instead of buying light bulbs. Weird. The one I really like to picture that was in the article is that it said that six chairs left the dining room area, and when she looked, he had fashioned... A bed? A desk out of them in his room. I have to say, if somebody draw me a picture of that, first of all, because if you can take six chairs and make a desk out of that. Wow. You deserve to keep that desk is how I feel. Because that's so fucking crazy to picture. Wow. Six chair desk. Anyway, I'm, you know, technically I'm on his side there because. Because that's just. Impressive. That's incredible. That's just impressive interior decorated. So at one point, he is like, I'm not going to pay you rent for the next month because he had found, like, a cigarette in the toilet. When she was like, what? He kind of airs toward using language to intimidate, which is to say, like, legal language because he's a lawyer. So he'll say things like to make her feel stupider to make him look more intimidating like the like like he's on the right side of the law he'll he uses phrases like um the warranty of habitability which i don't know what that is and if somebody said it to me but you know it's like he will try to use phrases that are law phrases him so i think she's complaining to her mom meanwhile about this she's like my roommate's so annoying and weird and her mom's like let's google him so the mom Googles his phone number and is like, he's not who he says he is. His real name is Jameson Bachman. So now we're going to talk about the history and the life of Jameson Fuck. Bachman. I'm so um, mad at Not this. the whole history, but in 2012, he first showed up at Melissa Frost's house and said that he was a New Yorker and his house had been destroyed by Sandy. And she was looking for a roommate and he asked to move in. And basically, he used tenant law to slowly try to take over her home. Like, tenant law is like a con man's best friend. Yeah. It's, it's, there's all these ways to become like a legal tenant somewhere with like, without being the person that owns the space. And he, because he's a lawyer, had read about that. We'll get to that. But he'd read about that, understood it, and was just always trying to spin it to his advantage he kind of like has this Jekyll Hyde thing where he when he first comes he's very shows you all his good characteristics and then quickly sort of flips right and turns into a psychopath the author of this article I was reading William Brennan when he talks to this woman Melissa Frost he's like 
I'm going to do my own digging. And he basically realizes through his own investigative investigative work that he's been doing this to a lot of people. There's like a whole history. This makes me so afraid. And what he says in the article is that Jameson is a serial squatter operating on a virtuosic scale. Wow. And can he be arrested in any way? That's what's so hard about it. Like, what he's He's doing isn't really illegal. He's just a con man. So, and what feels, like, very scary, I think, about him is the psychology of him, which is that, like, yes, his goal in many ways is to take advantage and to get away with not paying rent and stuff. But there's something about him that it feels like it's, like, actually tormenting women. The people that he goes and lives with is a part of is like a game to him right. and is just as important to him almost right and he's just wants to make your life hell his mo is sort of always the same which is that he always is in crisis right it's like sandy or sick relative it's whatever right. but there's something that is going to get you to pity him right away And then he's going to start doing weird stuff. To see what he can get away with. Yes. To, like, fuck with you and throw you off balance. One example was this anecdote about a guy that he lived with where he kept taking the bath mat that was always in the same place on the floor and throwing it across the room or something of the bathroom, throwing it in the corner. And he would do it just every time he went in the bathroom to a point where the guy he was living with duct taped it to the floor and then wrote on the floor why, like in duct tape or at the bottom of the mat or something, just wrote why. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I just really like that. that. I like that defense. Yeah. It's a good defense. Why? One time he also got a job as a teacher at this sort of prestigious school in New Rochelle in New York and they gave him faculty housing and he wouldn't leave. Once they were like, we don't want you to teach her next year, he like wouldn't leave the house and he had to be forcibly evicted. And one of his victims, he actually ends up getting romantically involved with, or he was romantically involved before he moved in, I should say. And so that's like even crazier, messier, more emotional, where it ended with them actually getting physical with each other. And so then they get protective orders against one another which by living together, they're it's, in violation they're of. of yeah. So when she tries to evict him and it's her home, he lies and says that she tried to stab him. So then she's the one that's not allowed to go to the home. <gasps> and when she's at, during the time she's not allowed to be in her home, he starts taking her cats to kill shelters. Oh, my God. So, so much for being like this animal loving guy. Yeah. Um, And that's not, like, the only instance of it turning crazy. There was one roommate he had that said Jameson would walk around holding a baseball bat over his shoulder all the time. So just, like, threatening. One of the quotes from the article is that Melissa, I think, is the one that says this. The effort he put into doing this was life-consuming. So I think that the point was he didn't have a job. He was full-time terrorizing you trying to use the law to prevent you from doing anything about it. So assuming you have a normal life, you don't have the time to go against this guy. So you're sort of no match for him. Oh, 
This is horrible. When Melissa was trying to get him out, at one point he said to her, you've got your whole life in front of you. You're pretty and you're talented and you've got this house. Well, you don't have this house anymore. This house is my house. Scary, right? Ugh. So what's interesting about the law degree is that, yes, he did go to law school and he was, like, smart and a good student. and But he failed the bar and he never retook it. So... Legally, he can't help anyone but himself. So he's using all that energy on him. And I don't know if he, like, feels failed about that. Because if he does, he hides it really well. He's got this sort of braggadocious behavior and, like, attitude where he just seems really full of himself. He sort of exudes, like, arrogance. We learn a little bit about his childhood from the article and that his parents were like, you are amazing. You can do anything. You're God. You're the best. And that might have been an issue. For the record, never give your kids positive encouragement. It worked for me, and I feel like I'm better for it. I tell Koa every day, you are below average to average at best. (laughs) Every day I tell him, right when he wakes up. Yeah, well, and also before he goes to bed. (laughs) Of course. So he had this really crazy thing happen to him in college, it turns out, where a guy he knew or maybe was friends with, they were hanging out once. And a, some other guy walked up to them and slit the guy's throat and killed him. Like, Holy almost shit. cut his head off. Like, huge knife. So Jameson witnessed this, and it fucked him up. What's crazy about it is the motive. The murderer did it because he had an ongoing fight with that guy about him eating a cheese sandwich at the library and that being disrespectful. So, like, nothing. No reason. Witnessing the murder seems to have messed him up a little. I would argue that it wouldn't be the thing that would turn someone into what Jameson turns into. But we all react to different things different ways. This is insane. The truth is, if things do progress to court when it comes to these issues, he, he doesn't usually succeed because... The judges, just from his behavior and the way he talks, like, sense. That he's insane. That he's a con artist. And they're like, yeah, he's a psycho. And But the point is, he has wasted so much of your energy and your resources before it gets to court. Just getting rid of him. Right. And he'll always let it go as far as it can go. He's like a human bed bug. Like, what could be worse, right? It's like you just cannot get rid of him. So other than the overly doting parents, he also has a brother, Harry, who probably is everything Jameson wanted to be. Right. Just He's like a successful architect. He married a psychologist. He has a cute family and a nice home. And Jameson blames his parents, of course, for his brother being successful and him being whatever he is. Ugh, he, bored of that. He, like, hates them and talks shit about them all the time to anyone who will listen. He doesn't end up going to his dad's funeral when his dad dies. So that's his relationship with his family. Uh, Alex, meanwhile, the gal that we were talking about at the beginning, writes, like, a fake legal letter to him on legal letterhead to try to scare him. But it doesn't really work. Then she just stages a going away party for him at the house and has a bunch of her friends come. And it's a little bit like a, what I'm saying is, fuck you, leave. 
Wait, that's so funny. During the party, he gets really mad because it's loud and it's crazy. And he leaves, not like with his stuff, but he just leaves for the night. But the next morning he shows up and he like rushes her while she's in the bathroom and grabs her throat. She doesn't back down, but she's like scared, but she yells at him. He comes at her with a knife, but also slams his door on her. Oh, my God. So, like, her leg is stuck in the door, and he slices her leg with the knife and says to her, you've made a grave mistake. So she runs and calls the police. Finally, it's an arrestable fucking assault, right? Yeah. At least. He gets taken to jail. While he's gone, Alex is, like, looking through his room with her mom. They find bullets in the room, but they can't find a gun. But that's scary. Um, Harry, the successful brother, post Jameson's bail. No. Yes. It's his brother. No. He is able not to go back to Alex's, of course, but to pick up his stuff at a precinct. So Alex brings the stuff there. He goes to get it. When they meet face to face, he threatens her again like a fucking idiot. And he says, you're dead, bitch. So he ends up having to go back to jail. (laughs) Um, And as a result, at the time he loses, I don't want to say custody, but I'll just say it, custody of his cat and dog. Like they find new homes for them. And he is so mad now because remember, it's kind of like views them as his kids. (sighs) Harry, the brother, comes to the rescue yet again. Harry, you're enabling this behavior. I know. He bails him. Jameson is like, can I stay with you, Harry? And Harry's like, no. First of all, probably because he knows his brother. But second of all, his wife, Caroline, is like, absolutely not. And not only absolutely not, but she's upstate. And she's like, I want you to come upstate. I don't even want you at the house he knows we live at. Right. Not a good thing if you're, like, hiding from your brother. You might want to look into that and reconsider the bail. Seriously. So... She's already out of town, and he's making arrangements to leave town, but he's still at the house that he lives at, getting ready to leave town. When he goes to run an errand, he comes home, and he's, like, on the phone with Caroline. He's like, oh, fuck, guess who's here? You were right. Jameson's here. All right, let me get off the phone and deal with this. Never calls her back. (gasps) She calls the police. They go to the house. And Harry's car is gone, but there's a blood trail going from outside to inside the house. And then when they go inside the house, it's just like a scene of total chaos. There's blood everywhere. There's broken shit. And then they find in the basement Harry's body that was drugged there. And he's dead. He was beaten to death. No. What they find out. He posted his bail. And his brother killed him. His brother. So what they find out is that Jameson takes Harry's car and drives it to a nearby hotel and checks in under Harry's name. Super weird choice. They call a SWAT team and they break down the door to the hotel room. And the article says that Jameson rushes them with an axe when they break in. So unhinged, truly. William Brennan, who wrote the article wants to see this story through. So he shows up to Jameson's court hearing for this murder. Mm -hmm. And when he arrives, they're like, oh, it's been canceled. He hung himself in his cell. 
Wow. So it's a very, very crazy story. Look forward to hearing more about it because television series and film rights were bought by Bloomhouse Productions. Specifically, this article is bought by them. So they have the rights to make the film of this or TV show, which just sounds terrifying. It sounds so unsettling. Here's Oh, here's what will unsettle you. I'm going to end with this. No. (laughs) His, like, senior quote or whatever in his yearbook, Jameson's, was, Fools say that they learn by experience. I prefer to profit by others' experiences. So scary. He killed his brother. His brother brother. bailed him out twice. What's so weird is, Like, like... he I think could've... he just was, like, in a corner. Like, I think he was really, like, he didn't have any money. He didn't... And it was so personal to be like, you won't let me live with you or stay with you. And it was a jealousy maybe, too. It was all, that guy clearly had it a It reminds break. me of Robert Durst and his brother from the yeah. Jinx. And just, yeah. like. How he's like, you're not allowed anywhere near. There's, like, <laughs> they're like, this guy, don't let I him just, near my house. I can't imagine being so scared of your own family member like that. Like, it's terrifying. Maybe Harry knew something about his childhood that James that like, and like offered some I form of sympathy. Even, yeah. Well, no, but I think it's like a Harry's normal. Like blood is thicker than water, and just like if your siblings in trouble, no matter how crazy they are, or how much you think they're in the wrong, you help them. You do. That's part of being a family yeah, member. Yeah, but like with limitations. With limitations. Um, with con- well, like- and I keep thinking. It's very sad this happened. And also it could have been sad in a different way where Harry could have bailed him and he could have gone and hurt someone else. And then how would Harry feel? Right. Because that blood would be on his hands. Right. In this case, it's his own blood. So he can't feel one way or another about it. I bet Um, Caroline, his wife, is And he has two kids. children. Oh. And he was just like a nice, normal, well, we don't know much about him, but, I, you know, it seemed like the article paints a picture of just a real nice, normal guy. Well, it's like he he's someone who's like, yeah, my brother, I got to show up for him. And then Ugh. his brother fucking beats him to death. Twice. I got to show up for him twice. Yeah. That's the other thing. If you would kill your brother, why wouldn't you kill a perfect stranger? Exactly. It's very scary. And I can't imagine being one of those people that lived with him for months. That makes me so unsettled. Truly, in my bones. You need to eat something. By the way, you need to eat something. You've been listening to Truly Darkly Creepy. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Ipema. And you're a brand new Patreon subscriber. Can you believe it? And that means that you'll get to hear this past month's story about a haunted wedding dress and uh, a murder mystery. woman. Yes. And you will also get to hear next week's, next month's. Something. You'll hear, listen, you'll, you'll just hear be more. hearing things <laughs> and loving them. You'll be hearing way more things. We're going to tickle those ear bones. Tickle, tickle, tickle. That sounds annoying. I don't like that. I don't like that either. Let's cut that. I have to pee. All right. All right.